Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. My wife and I, we've joked around for really the entirety of our marriage that, that I have what might actually be the, the worst memory on, on the planet. For, for instance, she'll show me a picture that, that pops up on her Facebook memories and it'll be one of our kids when they were just like learning to walk or maybe in our first house and she'll say, oh, Shay, re- remember this? And, and I'll usually rather sheepishly respond, no, not, not, not at all actually. Like I have no recollection of that which is usually followed by this rather like bewildered look or perhaps even like this, this eye roll, like, like Shay, how is this not something that, that is etched into your brain? And, and I think what's even more confusing for my wife, and admittedly, after I've really processed this even for myself, more confusing for me, it, it, it's not as if my, my brain isn't sharp, like, like, like I have no ability to remember. For, for instance, I, I remember very well sermons that I literally listened to years ago. I can recall books that I've read and, and why they've stood out to me. I can recall many memories within my, my college years and those memories with friends and the idiotic things that we did together. I obviously stand on a stage on a weekly basis and, and preach for 30 minutes. But, but ironically, the more important stuff, like, like what my daughter Logan was like at two years old, it's, it's just kind of a blur. Or the first year of this church, for instance. Again, I can kind of remember a couple of moments, but for the most part, it's all sort of vague. It's all sort of like mashed together in my mind. I have virtually no recollection of my first couple years in marriage. Oh, Shay, you have the worst memory ever. But is it that simple? I, I had a bit of an epiphany about a year ago. I was reading what would turn out to be one of the most impactful books that, that I've ever read, a book that I'll definitely recommend throughout this series. It's called The Rest of God by, by Mark Buchanan. Uh, the, the book really talks about a very brief kind of 5,000 foot view that, that Sabbath is so much more than just like a day where we sit around and do nothing. Rather, it's a way of life. It's a gift that, that God has given to us so, so that we get the most out of life. But, but, but in one of those closing chapters, the author, Mark Buchanan, he, he dedicates an entire chapter to, to remembering. And, and I'll just tell you that this chapter, it, it shook me to my core. By the end of it, I was literally reading through tears as, as they fell onto the pages. See, I realized something that day, that, that, that my pitiful memory wasn't the product of something neurologically that had gone awry in, inside of my head, but, but rather it, it was the byproduct of, of busyness. See, a poor memory was the symptom, busyness was, was the illness. That, that the reason let me get choked up again thinking about this, that the reason I can't remember Logan when she was two or remember much of my marriage in those early years is because I'm constantly going, my schedule crammed full, every second of every day occupied by some meeting, some appointment, some task to check off the to-do list. I had been sacrificed to seeing what, what is most important, for instance, memories of, of my kids for, for doing, get, getting as much done as, as possible. Mark Buchanan, he notes um, in the same chapter in that book, The Rest of God, loss of attentiveness plays into loss of memory, that they're blood brothers. We simply don't remember what we never stopped to notice. 
That is, for me, I was rarely present, like actually giving my full attention to, to anything. Even when I was on a date, for instance, with, with my wife, my phone was within arm's reach and I was ready to reply to whatever text or email came my way. Even while spending time with children at the, at the end of the day, the TV was on telling me why Kevin Durant was possibly gonna switch teams again. Even while on vacation with my family, I was constantly almost obsessively thinking about the work that was stacking up for me while I was away. But my memories were non-existent because I was simply, well, existing, too busy to catch that which is most important, always looking ahead, always so busy, in such a hurry. And here's my working theory and why we're spending the six weeks after Easter to dive into this series titled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I don't think I'm alone. I don't think I'm the only one who always feels rushed, like, like there's never enough time in a day, constantly in a, a hurry. In, in fact, I actually feel like the most popular, the most common response that I get from, well, all of you when I ask, and by the way, I'm, I'm genuinely curious when I ask this question of like, hey, how are you doing? That the most common response, it's, it's almost always busy. I'm doing good, but, but life is just, oh my gosh, it's just so busy. We got our kids' activities and sports and work is nuts. Life's just kind of a, it's a blur right now. And, and not only does this rob us of, of our presence with the people that, that really matter most, I mean, few people would try to argue against that. As Dallas Willard points out, hurry is, is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Being hurried or, or busyness, it's incompatible. We, we could even take it as far and say even antithetical to the way of Jesus. As Corey Ten Boom famously said, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. Because the reality is both, both busyness and sin have the exact same effect. They, they, they cut you off from your connection to God, to other people, and as we're gonna discover here over the course of this series, to, to our own souls. I'm privileged to, to lead a men's group here at, at this church. We have people from, from both campuses and we meet every Tuesday morning at 6.30 a.m. and really kind of the, the heart of, of this group is, is confession and accountability. Uh, we've been doing this uh, and gathering together here for, for about a year at this point. And, and one of my personal goals with this group, and, and they're not finding out about this this morning, I've been very open with this, is that these 12 guys, uh, by the time that, that our time comes to an end together as a group, that they will develop that, that habit of daily encounter, that daily time spent with Jesus, where the first thing that they do when they get out of bed in the morning is, is they crack open their Bibles and they just allow the word of God to speak to them, where they spend daily time just speaking to Jesus through this thing that we call prayer. It's the single most important habit that any of us could possibly develop. And, and frankly, if, if I can't help these guys move there, I, I'm gonna feel like, like I've failed. And, and over the last year, we, we've seen market improvement in, in that area. But, but admittedly, we're still not batting a thousand. And, and every week as we check in, as we talk about that, as we share how we're doing, that the reason as to why whatever person didn't spend time with Jesus every day of the week is the exact same. Sorry, guys, it was just such a busy week. There's literally never been an instance where this wasn't the reason, where this wasn't the excuse. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Or as John Ortberg puts it, for many of us, the great danger isn't that we will renounce our faith, it's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. 
We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Come on, does that feel a little too familiar? And so if you're watching today and you're still kind of, I don't know, on the fence about following Jesus, this series will be incredibly beneficial for you. It will be all kinds of practical for you. It will undeniably offer you a better way to live. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better daughter. You'll be a better son. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better friend. But, but for the follower of Jesus, this series will have deep implications for, for your spiritual life, for, for your soul. If you allow it, you will be conformed more into the image of Christ. In fact, in that vein, arguably the single greatest way to describe the life of Jesus during his time on earth, and in particular during his earthly ministry, was present. Read the Gospels for yourself, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. You will not find a single instance where Jesus was in a rush, where he was in a hurry. Never was he looking past the person speaking to him because of what lay ahead. He was completely and utterly present. In that way, we could have just as easily named this series The Way of Jesus. And as is always the case with Jesus, it's just better, not only for you, but for all the people around you. And perhaps some of you who are watching this morning, that's all you need to hear. Jesus offers you a better way of life. You were hoping that was the case as you tuned in here today, and I'm telling you that that is absolutely the case. That there's a reason, as we talked about last week at Easter, that what the world offers consistently and constantly falls short. We all have this void inside of us that was only ever meant to be filled with Jesus, an intimate, a real relationship with Jesus. And we're told that in the midst of that relationship with Jesus, we will find rest for our souls. And as I asked last week, isn't that exactly what you were hoping to find in a place like this? Isn't that not just what you want, but who you need? Isn't that what you're hoping for, what your soul is yearning for? Again, it would be Jesus himself who would tell us, come to me, all of you who are weary and, and carry heavy burdens. And for so many of us, that, that so aptly describes our lives. And Jesus says, and I will give you, come on, you want this, you want rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I want you right now, wherever you're watching from, I want you to read that one more time to yourself. Let this sink in. These aren't mere words from, from some philosopher, from your psych professor in college, but rather a promise from Jesus himself. Words that that have a sort of guarantee attached to them since the guy who uttered these words would, would predict his own death and resurrection and then, and then actually pull that off. And, and over the course of these six weeks, we're gonna discover how to, to live into this promise, live into the way of Jesus, present Jesus in the midst of, of a very hurried, rushed society. Now, now, what's sort of interesting, and this is just kind of an observation, is that about three years ago, most of us were sort of forced into some version of what we're describing here in this series. That is at least a less hurried life. 
Maybe you still wouldn't at that point have described your life as, as present, but, but it was definitely less hurried than, than it had previously been. See, a worldwide pandemic comes along and essentially shuts the world down. And for the vast majority of us, that, that created more time with our loved ones, less work, less time spent in the car, less meetings, shorter hours. I was, in fact, in communication with a lot of you during that time. And, and when I'd ask you how you were doing, I'd often hear on the other end of that line, like, honestly, great. And, and there was this sheepishness to that because you like, kind of felt bad because the world was just in such turmoil. But you were going, honestly, pr- pretty great. I feel like I have more time for what matters most than, than ever before. Many of you, once life began to return to some level of normal, you, you proudly declared, I will never return to that old way of life. In fact, and this is sort of giving you a look behind the curtain, we'd actually originally planned to do this series coming out of Easter in 2020. And, and when that giant reset button was hit, it's like, okay, again, worldwide pandemic reset. I, I wondered if there was ever even going to be a need for a series like this in the future. Oh, how naive. We fast forward now about three years and, and most of us, we've pretty much gone right back to our old habits. Busyness, hurry, it, it wins the day. Which tells me that this is probably never going anywhere. We as human beings will always have a propensity to distract ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Now, now maybe you're sitting here and you're watching today and, and, and you're not convinced admittedly, the first time that I was presented with the idea that, that I might too suffer from what we could call hurry sickness, I, I, I pushed back. I said, no, not, not me. I, Shea Prisk, am the exception. Or, or even worse, I, I justified it. See, see, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm allowed to be in a hurry because what I do for a living is so important. See, I'm a pastor. I'm busy in the name of Jesus. Never mind the fact that, that I was constantly in a hurry when I worked in corporate America as well. That doesn't really count. With that. that's, that's the past. We're focusing on the future. In the book that bears actually the same title of this series, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, available, by the way, here in person. If you decide to show up here in person, we're going to be selling this throughout this series. Uh, it's definitely worth the read. Uh, again, one of the best books that, that I've ever read. But, but in this book, John Mark Comer, he, he offers the reader a list of symptoms that, that might point to the fact that you too suffer from, from hurry sickness. And, and I'm actually going to read those right now. What I'm going to ask of you, is to kind of tally how many of these check marks or how many of these that you're like, yeah, that's kind of describing me. So there's 10 total. And and I want you to kind of tally as we walk through these, how many of these 10 do do you say, yeah, that that would describe me? Uh, Number one is is irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. Little normal things irk you. People have to tiptoe around your ongoing low-grade negativity, if not anger. A word of advice from a fellow eggshell expert to self-diagnose, don't look at how you treat a colleague or neighbor. Look at how you treat those closest to you, your spouse, your children, your roommate. So, so again, I, I, when you take this seriously, check that box if, if that would describe you. Uh, number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. Minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events. Depending on your personality, this might show up as anger or nitpickiness or anxiety or depression or just tiredness. But point is, the ordinary problems of life this side of Eden have a disproportionate effect on your emotional well-being and relational grace. You can't seem to roll with, with the punches. Number three, restlessness. 
When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you, you can't relax. You give Sabbath a try and, and you hate it. You read scripture but find it boring. You have quiet time with God but you can't focus your mind. You go to bed early but toss and turn over anxiety. You watch TV but simultaneously check your phone, fold laundry, and get into a spat on Twitter. Okay, maybe you just answer an email. Your mind and body are hyped up on the drug of speed and, and when they don't get the next dopamine fix, they, they shiver. Number four, workaholism or just nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop, or worse, you can't stop. Another hour, another day, another week. Your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation. These could show up as a careerism or just as obsessive house cleaning and errand running. Result, you fall prey to sunset fatigue, where by day's end, you have nothing left to give to your spouse, children, or loved ones. That They get the grouchy, curt, overtired you, and, and it's not pretty. Number five, uh, emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel another's pain or your own pain for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just don't have the time for it. You live in this kind of constant fugue. Number six, out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Your life is reactive, not proactive. You're busier than ever before, yet you still feel like you don't have the time for what matters the most. Months often go by or years, or God forbid, maybe it's even decades, and you realize you still haven't gotten around to all the things you said were the most important in your life. Number seven, lack of care of, of your body. You don't have time for the basics, eight hours of sleep at night, the daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food, minimal stimulants, margin. You gain weight, you get sick multiple times a year, you regularly wake up tired, you don't sleep well. You live off the four horsemen of the industrialized food apocalypse, caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. Number eight, escapist behaviors. When we're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, we each turn to our distraction of choice, overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn. Name your preferred cultural narcotic. Narcotics are good, healthy even, on an occasional and short-term basis when they shield us from unnecessary pain. But when we abuse them to escape from reality, they eat us alive. You find yourself stuck in the negative feedback loop of socially acceptable addictions. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. If you're anything like me, when you get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving for your soul are the first to go rather than your first go-to such as quiet time in the morning, scripture, prayer, Sabbath, worship on Sunday, a meal with your community, and so on. Because in an ironic catch-22, the things that make for rest actually take a bit of emotional energy and self-discipline. When we get over busy, we get over tired. And when we get over tired, we don't have the energy or discipline to do what we need most for our souls. Repeat. The cycle begins to feed off its own energy. So instead of life with God, we settle for life with a Netflix subscription and a glass of cheap red wine. It's a very poor substitute. And not because time wasted on TV is the great Satan, but because we rarely get done binge watching anything or posting to social media or overeating Five Guys burgers and fries and feel awake and alive from the soul outward, rested, refreshed, and ready for a new day. We delay the inevitable, an emotional crash. And as a consequence, we miss out on the life-giving sense of the withness of, of God. And, and then lastly, number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. Uh, on those rare times when you actually stop to pray, and by pray, I, I don't mean ask God for stuff, I mean sit with God in the quiet. You're so stressed and distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy the Father's company. It's the same with your friends. When you're with them, 
You're also with your phone or a million miles away in your mind, running down the to-do list. And even when you're alone, you come face to face with the void that, that is your own soul and immediately run back to the familiar groove of busyness and digital distraction. Now, I'm not asking you to, to admit this to anybody else, but, but how do you do? Four for 10? Six for 10? I mean, come on, for, for some of you, 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 you literally went 10 for 10. And, and I want to tell you, trust me, you're not alone. The first time that I read through that list, it was sobering to say the least. And right now, if you're feeling guilt or shame or embarrassment, reject it. That is not from your heavenly father. And that's certainly not the intent of this little exercise. But what I'm attempting to establish this morning is that a hurried life, while normal in our Western world, it's toxic. It's not only wreaking havoc on your emotional and on your physical health, not only undermining the relationships with the people that you really do love the most, it's wreaking havoc on our souls and undermining our relationship with the living God. And as Jesus would, would quite directly pose to us, hey, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but, but you lose your own soul? See, what you give your attention to is, is who you become. That's not a Christian idea, that's, that's just life. In the end, your, your life is, is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. Now, now what's really interesting is, even in this post-Christian society that we each find ourselves a part of, still 97% of people believe that there is something after this life. And a little thought exercise right now, imagine that, that at the end of this life, that this life that you worked so tirelessly and, and frantically to achieve all your goals, it, it ended up costing you your soul. Hang on to that. And then Jesus continues with this little thought exercise and then poses an even more poignant question. He asks us to consider, hey, is, is anything worth more than, than your soul? See, what Jesus is, is asking of us, he's saying, hey, tr try and look ahead a little bit. Imagine actually that at the end of your life, you've achieved all that you ever wanted to achieve. You have everything that you ever wanted. I mean, you have all the toys and vacation homes and money and relationships and successful children, but, but you figure out that all of that hurry and achieving, it cost you your soul. And Jesus, he's asking us, hey, what would you give up in that moment to get your soul back? This, this isn't a trick question. I mean, you in that moment, you see eternity as very real and you can either spend it with God or you can spend it apart from him. What would you give up to get it back? This is an incredibly easy decision, right? right? You would give up all of it, every single one of us. You wouldn't hesitate. You wouldn't give it a second thought. After all, you can't take any of it with you anyway. And right there, you just made a pretty remarkable discovery. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but, but yet you lose your own soul? I mean, come on. Is anything worth more than your soul? Your soul is, is greater than, more important than anything else. And so Jesus, he offers us the opportunity, <laughs> so good, to follow him.
to, to reorient our lives in such a way that, that, that not only will we find greater purpose and, and meaning in the here and now, but, but it also has an impact on, on our eternity. And, and this is what we're presenting in this series. Remember, Jesus himself would be the one who, who would tell us, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This isn't only a promise for the future, and it is, in eternity with God. It's something that we are offered in the here and right now, on this earth. It's a future and very much a present promise. So, so come on, whether you're new to all this, just kind of beginning to explore, perhaps you've been at this church thing for a while and you're sitting here right now and you already think that, that you have this following the Jesus thing down pretty well figured out. What, what if Jesus was right? See, I actually think there's something inside of you that, that knows he's right. You know that busyness and hurry is, is a thief. Robbing from you that which is most important. You've actually been sensing that for, for a pretty long time. But, but you're not really sure how to break the cycle. You're not really sure how to, how to get your soul back. And I would tell you, keep coming back. Keep leaning in. And rather than, than buckle up, settle in. Let us together explore the, the different, the, the upside down, the unhurried, the present, the better way of Jesus.